Our climate is changing. Shifts in weather and threats to our natural resources present new challenges and very real difficulties for farmers and ranchers. That's why America's producers are taking action to fight back against climate change. Welcome to Farm Policy Facts, the podcast where we dive deeper into the issues facing rural America. I'm your host, Tom Sell. We've been hearing a lot about climate change recently from politicians and political pundits. So we wanted to hear directly from, in this case, a farmer, uh, and get his perspective on how agriculture can be a part of the climate solution and how Congress can help make that happen. Here to join me this week to talk about climate change, carbon markets, and everything in between is Arkansas rice farmer Mark Isbell. Thanks, Mark, for joining us today. Mark, I got to say, I, I first got to know you when you were testifying before Congress on matters of trade, but I know this is is really a passion of yours. So uh, we just couldn't be more excited to talk with you about uh, this topic today. You're a fourth generation rice farmer. You know firsthand the importance of preserving and protecting our environment for the future, passing it on to the next generation, Lord willing. So uh, I guess given that, why, just to start out broadly, why is it so important for farmers and ranchers to have a voice in this discussion about climate change? Tom, thanks for having me on. Great talking to you. And it's been great getting to know you through the years. Appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, I mean, it is important that farmers have a voice because all um, politicians, all other um, parts of the supply chain have an opinion on the matter. They think they might have answers on the matter, but um, they may or may not have experience of what's going on at the ground level and what can be done, what opportunities there are, not just um, you know what they might be able to do that could be problematic, but what opportunities they might not be seeing that are on the ground. And so it's incredibly important that farmers are able to speak to the policies that emerge. I love it. And, and you've been at this among farmers uh, for quite a while. You're one of the first farmers to sell uh, carbon credits associated with rice production in particular, which is a unique animal or I guess crop in, in, a, in itself. Way back in 2016, maybe tell me a little bit about your history here and, and some of your experience in this carbon market. Yeah, so I mean, the history, as you mentioned before, I'm a fourth generation farmer. So uh, my granddad and, and my dad started actually doing things to the farm that made it more efficient back in the late 70s or early 80s. And that was what we called zero grade or land forming that made us use, made it possible to use a lot of less water. And so what's interesting about sustainability and conservation is the steps that you take in the past like that really affect some of the things that you can do later on. And so that really set us up to implement some other irrigation practices that use less water, but also with that created the opportunity to minimize methane creation. And um, so we were working with a local irrigation district at the time that brought together several farmers for a pilot project that implemented some irrigation practices that um, mitigated methane and as a result of that um, carbon. And so that was a pilot project that we worked together with them. It was several years in the making. We learned a lot from that, got to meet a lot of great people. And in the end, we created carbon offsets from rice production. 
it's incredible. And and so even even the carbon offsets in this case were related to production efficiencies. You know, do, growing more crop, using less water to grow to grow more crop, which obviously feeds a hungry world. So these two are connected in this case. Yeah. So I mean. Efficiency is incredibly important when it comes to sustainability. I mean, land use efficiency, getting more return on the inputs when it comes to yield has a direct factor for every sustainability metric. So every extra bushel that you can pull out of the field with the same amount of inputs decreases the impact of, of, the, overall, um, of the overall crop. Uh, I love uh, that you're that you're talking about this, Mark. Just because I, I think some people have the notion when they think about uh, more, you know, climate friendly agriculture or climate smart agricultural practices, that they think in in kind of uh, reversion kind of uh, thinking of we need to go back to a less efficient, uh, more holistic model, um, and and that might be uh, true in certain cases, but but in in your case, it is. Uh, it's 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 all re- related to production efficiency and really for the good of the world, uh, growing world population, 7 billion people growing uh, in future years, efficiency is absolutely, it is absolutely key. I was actually thinking about that yesterday. I was driving a tractor on a field that we actually haven't had in production in a couple of years. And so I was on an older tractor um, and had a little bit more time to think. Just trying to get across it and get it worked back up. And, you know, I was thinking if you go further back than that and you look at how agriculture used to, to be, I mean, think about the, if you want to talk about efficiency, think about the number of humans that used to be involved in creating food. You know, everyone used to have to spend a, a large portion of their day um, just doing what they needed to do to produce food. And, um the new system that has evolved over multiple generations of a supply chain, there are, are things that we can do to make it better. But the economy that we all enjoy today, the um, civilization that we all enjoy today is a direct result of being able to have certain individuals specialize in different parts of the economy. And agriculture is one of those. And as we, um, as we do that, obviously farms have to be able to um, be able to work on more ground to produce more food because we're trying to fill that role of feeding those people that no longer have to spend parts of their day feeding themselves. It's, it's such an important point that you make, and it's, it's one I love. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my days defending and promoting the American farm family, families like your, your own, Mark. Um, and sometimes we find it lamentable that 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 younger generations aren't coming back. But in another way, that's been the American dream of farm families for generations to to allow their kids. Some might one might come back to the farm, uh, but others go off to the cities and and do great things there. And that that's that's not lamentable lamentable in the in the grander scheme. And just the point you make, the fact that we have a few people um, taking care of our food. Uh, resource needs so that other people can use their minds and their creativity to build better mousetraps and and advance our economy and our society in that way. It's it's one of the real beauties of, of this American farming and economic system uh, that we all enjoy so much. Okay, so this is incredible. I, 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 Mark, maybe back to rice a little bit. I've heard you talk 
about how instead of using cover crops, rice farmers utilize their flooded fields in the winter as habitat for ducks and other waterfowl. Clearly, rice production has some unique considerations when it comes to talking about how to use tools like cover crops to improve soil health, which is a big buzzword in, in DC, as you know. Why is it important that Congress not try to impose a one-size-fits-all solution uh, to agriculture? Yeah, so there are some buzzwords like soil health out there that are easy for people to latch onto and say, okay, this is what we're going to work on. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're gonna put our funding behind, our energy behind. And that's great in some places, um, but it's important that we don't see things as a one size fits all because what a farmer in Iowa or Illinois does um, to promote soil health doesn't look at all the same as to what we need to do here in central Arkansas. Um, what a corn farmer does isn't going to be the same as what a rice farmer does. Um, some of, the, some of the opportunities that we have for rice in benefiting the climate um, may not be cover crops. There may be certain places where cover crops do have a role. I mean, we've done a small amount of that to limited success on our farm and we're still learning about that. But if we open up our minds and look at the other opportunities for creating biodiversity, for mitigating methane, for um, you know, minimizing water use, for um, doing all kinds of things like that, um, we can still build soil health. In fact, um, you know, our, our farm has some of the highest organic matter um, in the state. Uh, so, I mean, we are building soil health, but if we only look at soil health as a, um, as a potential avenue for promoting climate-friendly agriculture, we miss a whole portfolio of other opportunities out there. Uh, I, I love it. You mentioned biodiversity, uh, and I assume that that means wildlife habitat, the ducks and, and things that we talked about, minimizing methane emissions important in, in a crop that, that uses so much water and has so much uh, you know, decomposition, decay, and, 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 and things going on. And then water use efficiency is, is so important. DC tends to think uh, in terms of, you know, they want a cookie cutter type of approach uh, to everything. We already talked about a rice farm is different uh, in central Arkansas is different from a corn farm or certainly a cotton farm uh, where I'm from. But also, how important is it that, that, that politicians just consider the nature of farming? I, let me ask you this, Mark. Uh, I mean, I, I love like, you know, cooking and, and you follow a plan, you follow a recipe and a plan and you get a predictable result. Uh, how does that relate to, to, to farming? Is it, is it ever so predictable uh, that, that you can kind of fit into cookie cutter approaches to, to, to getting certain, in accomplishing certain environmental goals or, or anything like that? What kind of flexibility do we need in that process year to year? We need an incredible amount of flexibility. And, um, you know, we start the year, um, I, I like to build spreadsheets and build plans, and, um, you know, so we go into the season saying, okay, we're going to plant this here. We're going to do this. It's going to, you know, take X amount of whatever. And that survives about the first hour of uh, the first day of planting. And um, you have to start adapting from there. You have to start making decisions based on not what you plan to do, but um, about factors that are well beyond your control. What has the weather done? What, um, 
you know, where, where are, what are the logistics at the moment? You know, did this tractor break down when we needed to go to this field? So, I mean, this year's a great example. We, we typically do a lot of no-till. Um, this year, there were a fair amount of fields that were rutted up in the fall, which we had to go back in and at least condition the salt enough to get those, those ruts out of the field. So, um, you know, that's not something that you have any control over. And so we have to have enough flexibility in whatever programs that we use to um, understand and to adapt to whatever farmers have to do to do the best they can with the, um, in the environment that they happen to be thrown for that season. I love it. Uh, you know, I wish um, folks who, who love to kind of talk about, you know, how, how, how you should farm from many miles away. Kind of, it's reminiscent of that old Dwight Eisenhower quote that it's mighty easy to farm when your when your plow is a pencil and your and your uh, field is a piece of paper. Um, but I wish I could just spend you know a year with you to see all the the, the adaptations that have to be had as you as you, you know, take on uh, unpredictable uh, maybe supply chain logistics or weather uh, affecting you. Thanks for uh, going into that. I also love. You, you ended with kind of the, the environmental goals. One of your local congressmen, Rick Crawford from Arkansas, he, he loves to use the, the tagline. I think it's a really good line. You know, farmers generally are not environmental activists, but they are very active environmentalists uh, engaging with the environment and trying to improve it uh, every day. Let me just ask you this. When, when most people think of, say, sustainability, they, they only consider the environmental side of the equation. But I, I want to ask just about economic sustainability. Should that be a part of the conversation and, and why should it? Well, you know, we, we are 100% focused on trying to do things in the most environmentally friendly way possible. But if we're not here to do that, who's going to take over? Um, is it going to be the person that's just as focused on that as we are? Or is it going to be somebody that's going to try to do things as cheap as they can? And, um, and, you know, not take that into consideration. If we aren't able to sustain the farms economically, we won't be here to sustain the farms environmentally. And, um, and so thankfully, many of the, the actions that we take that benefit the environment do have some economic upside. But the caveat there is in between that economic upside and the beginning of that activity is risk that you have to take on as you learn how to do that. And thankfully there's been a role that the um, NRCS has played in a lot of farms to help bridge that gap. Things like CSP, Equip, NNR, and um, RCPP do a very good job of encouraging practices on farms that help mitigate some of that risk in the short term as farmers learn to implement some of those practices. So we're grateful for those programs and those are a great um, place to look to begin seeing how how we can impact things as we use policy and federal actions to help encourage activities without having a heavy hand. I'm so glad you mentioned those. And for any listeners who aren't familiar with the programs, those are CSP, the Conservation Stewardship Program, which is an incentive-based program. EQIP is the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, um, which really does a lot of cost share to help implement some of these 
uh, practices um, uh, make it more viable uh, economically. And then the RCPP is really an amazing uh, a regional partnership uh, program that tries to bring a lot of folks, uh, academic, uh, extension, uh, community groups, kind of alongside the farmer in, in partnering towards some environmental goals. Really a, a, a great piece of, of statute from the 14 and the 18 farm bills. And Mark, you've pioneered uh, a lot of that. Let me just ask, since we're kind of on the, the matter of policy, what, and this will be final question, what is, what is your number one message uh, to Congress and the USDA as they tackle uh, this topic of climate change? Say so be open-minded and look to the farm. Um, you know, don't assume that um, the buzzwords are the answers. You know, there, there's a lot of um, benefit that can come from pursuing carbon markets. There's a lot of benefit that can come from some of the activities that they have um, talked about in the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Um, but um, that, that's a beginning. That's a, um, that's one piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. And so, um, you know, I appreciate the fact that um, they took the opportunity to have farmers come and speak to their, um, you know, to the committee. Um, I appreciate the fact that many politicians are open to hearing from farmers. But I would just reiterate that it's vitally important that you look to the ground, you look to the farm, and um, you find out what opportunities there are out there that you can then build policy around rather than trying to build a policy that, um, that drives um, activities that may not even be possible for some farmers. So we've got to have a portfolio approach that is it regionally inclusive, that is inclusive across all crop types, and that um, makes it possible for people to, um, to do these things that, that we all need to do. Brilliant, Mark. I, I love it. Listen to the ground, take a portfolio approach. I think there's tremendous wisdom there. It's been such uh, a pleasure talking to you again today, Mark. It's so important, as you say, that our farmers and ranchers be in really integral part of this discussion. After all, agriculture and our rural communities are on the front lines uh, when it comes to the issue of climate change. They've already committed to be a part of the solution. Thank you for your leadership in that, uh, in that area, Mark. That's gonna do it for this episode of Groundwork. I uh, hope you join us next time. I'm Tom Sell. <laughs>